This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. We started last week just by sharing um, part of the vision and our vision as a church um, is to reach nations and generations through disciple-making, leadership development and church planting. And it's so excited to see even part of discipleship is what we do with our kids, starting in our family, with young people and with Yapi who's a youth pastor and at the schools and at varsity and everywhere. Discipleship is what we've called, been called to not just do Christian events or play church, church. Those days are over. Discipleship is a hand-on messy business where you need to get involved and, and sometimes get offended with people around you that sometimes are different. Uh, because as the church, we have to open up our hearts and open up our homes and open up our doors for other people to be discipled. And also church planting means that, that call of God to go and, and bring the word, you know, all across. You know, just in March, we're taking a team up to Burundi where we've two years ago started to plant shofar churches. And they, those 16 shofar churches have grown to over 6,000 people just in two years because it's just multiplying and now we have to go in and train all the leaders, local people in Burundi. So it's so exciting to see when God's word affects a community and it grows and it is established and, and the local people there, you know, that's why we're planting a church in Clutusville and we're <clears throat> planting a church in Kaimandi. Um, and even your giving this morning goes to stuff like that because we want to train people and and see the gospel have its effect in specific communities all over. Um, and this morning we're moving on a little bit to the theme of the year. And the theme of the year um, actually came at a very funny moment when I was jogging up the mountain. And I just went to have a moment of just stopping, you know, these days with, with all these medical stuff and all the points you get and all the watches. It tracks you wherever you go, you know. And, and so you're running against and it's like, you know, all this stuff and so I was standing up on the mountain and when I just went to stand the Lord just dropped in my heart and in my spirit he says let's stand I thought like okay that's very simple but it's so profound because I think more than ever the church in South Africa and the church in Stellenbosch uh, we as believers must learn how to stand and we started to talk a little bit about that last year um, and I'm gonna just sort of jump in are you all ready to go? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for moments sitting around your word that you challenge us and your word transforms us and renews us, Lord. And we just thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the teacher, the one who brings life, the one who breathes on us. And we just want to bless you for your faithfulness, and your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's stand may mean a lot of things, but um, the first thing, and that's probably what we're going to probably get, just get stuck there today is let's stand before God. You cannot stand for something if you don't have the place and the authority and the identity. First, your identity, then your authority to stand before God. You know, um, on Tuesday, when Angus and I are going to Mitchell's Plain, and we, a year ago, we were there, and, you know, where all the people just had, it's amazing, you know, when God gives somebody like Angus a word to go to Mitchell's Plain, then there'll be some people that are very excited and then there'll be the, I call them the unbelieving believers. Yeah? They always know what's going to go wrong. They always know what the devil is going to do and all of that stuff. You know? But all of you that were there, 
uh, would have realized what a profound meeting it was, you know? And so he made a statement, quite a wild statement. Yeah, we're going to put up a wall here and we're going to say the flower of Cape Town, you know? So on Tuesday, we're going to go, yeah, Tuesday, we're going to go there and just meet a lot of the local leaders and put up a wall, you know? Because, hey, we need to make a stand in communities, you know? Uh, which is a lot of gangsterism, a lot of stuff if not from the, Cape, from the Cape. But it takes a lot of boldness to stand. It takes a lot of courage. Um, you know, even when Joshua went to the promised land, uh, many of us think that our promised land is filled with honey and bultong and, you know, uh, any Namibia is here. Oh, yeah, land flowing with bultong, I mean, Okay. Uh, there's just one rule in this church. You must bring a tithe to the apostles' feet of all your bultong. Okay. And that's just a joke. That's just a joke. But, um, but the Lord did not send vegetables to Elijah at the brook. Did you know that? That's just, that's just a, a personal doctrine. He's, he sent bread and, and, and meat. Amen. Okay, cool. So, nothing against vegetarians, but I come from a meat farm. So... But to be able to stand before God and to make a stand, you know, sometimes I always laugh with some anger, especially when we travel overseas, when he, when he speaks so quickly, you know, but, but then he later on says, I remember the one day when, when he, last year when he was here in Kutzenberg, and uh, he, he's, he told us he's going to go to Mitchell's plane and everybody must be there. Um, so we drove with the car, him and his son, Andy, and, um, and his son said to him, Dad, this time, you're either going to go over or you're going to go under. But you made some wild statements, <laughs> you know. We're going to go to Mitchell's plane, you know. Um, and it's amazing how some Christians just became negative and critical and the crime and all of that stuff. But if you heard some of the testimonies of, you know, there was two specific gangsters that were standing outside the fields where these, what, more than 100,000 people came together. And the testimony is like this. They... They wanted to go onto the field to go and rob people from their cell phones. But every time when they got onto the field, two meters into the field, their feet started to burn so much like they were walking on coals. Then they would turn around and run off the field again. And when they're outside the field, they were fine. But every time they went onto the field, their feet burned so much that eventually they came to repentance. They said, this must be God. They just wanted to go and rob people of their cell phones. And so... So when we take a stand, we see the fullness of God begin to manifest in our lives. So, but it means that you and I need to be secure. And that's why when Joshua goes into the promised land, God says, be strong and courageous. But he has to tell him, Moses, my servant is dead. Because you're gonna, there's a lot of stuff that's going to come to you. There's a lot of challenges. So when you stand for Jesus, when you stand for the gospel, when you stand in your identity and authority, when you stand for your family, and I want to especially talk to the men here, you need to be the spiritual leader of your home. You can't delegate your spiritual responsibility. Too many Christians want to delegate their prayer life to the prayer life of the church or to a prayer meeting. You can't. You cannot delegate who you are as a Christian. I mean, that means you and I have to pray. You and I have to stand in that place. Sometimes we have to stand for community and righteousness. So here in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to be able to be stand before God, listen to what the writer to the Hebrews says. Many people say it's Paul, but we don't actually know because the writing is quite different than all of his other letters. 
But um, verse 19, it says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holies by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So it's this beautiful picture that says that when you and I come to approach God, and the book of Hebrews starts, you know, I love what it starts with right in the beginning in chapter one, he says, God has spoken through prophets, God has spoken through great miracles and everything, but finally has spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ. So we don't need fancy revivals. We don't need fancy stuff. We just need to see what Jesus did on the cross. And the moment when we see that, we will be transformed. Then we will have revival. Hello, I mean, we will have something that not just stirs in our heart, but when we see who he really is, whoa, you let go of all the other rest. I told the, the Tigerberg um, first year's camp a story of when we were in Iran a couple of years ago, and this lady that um, just came in because the, the, the church is really can't meet like we do. We are, we're the most privileged people in the world by just meeting like this. We should thank God every time because it's a massive privilege for us to sit like this. Um, more than 60% of the church of Jesus cannot meet publicly. And so this week we were there underground in this church or in this house and this, the, um, the windows were closed. And so now we just, you know, we, we're thinking we bring a blessing. Meantime, we're learning so much. And, um, and then this family, the first thing that came was this... Um, I asked the lady, well, sure, we heard your pastor has been arrested two weeks ago. And when you're arrested in countries like that, you will be in prison for at least three years. And so, so they're quite tense. And now we arrived, these Westerners and all that stuff, you know. And, and so we're sitting there and she just frowns and, and she says the following. She says, do you know what? Um, I think it's actually the Lord because he's been starting to preach a watered-down gospel. Uh, this, all this grace stuff that comes from the West that just is so far from the gospel, he started to preach that. So we pray that God will refine our pastor a little bit, and so the Lord told us he's going to go to jail. So that's good. <laughs> I'm standing there, I'm thinking, lady, please don't pray for me. <laughs> I, I want to go home, you know. <laughs> because now all the doctrines goes like, whoa, whoa you know. <laughs> But there's a church that, that is alive. And so the story I actually want to get to, now we're sitting there and, and we, we, we're coming and this one lady, she's been like fasting for 21 days because she wants to get baptized. And in nations like that, if you want to get baptized, um, you actually sign your death certificate. Once you get baptized, that's it. Going to church even or doing stuff. But once you identify with the death and the resurrection of Jesus, you know you will die and it will probably be your own family that kills you. But you know, to look in her eyes and how she just wept as we worshiped, just wept. She didn't understand a word English, but she was just sitting in the corner of the kitchen just to be able to worship God together with other believers. 
then you realize that all across the world, people are taking a stand. Some are paying a massive cost for following God. And we part of the free church. <laughs> Our challenge may be a bit different, but what stand are we taking? What are the distractions? What are the things that would come against us that would keep us away from firstly just boldly standing before God? And this is what the writer says. He says, when you come, you don't come because you are so good or because you're nice or you're having a degree or you've got all this stuff. You have to come completely broken. You have to come in your brokenness, in your humility and stand before God and realize it's only the blood of Jesus that validates you to stand before him. And it gives you a boldness. And I'll, I'll say this probably 50 times this year. God did not panel beat us to become better people. The Bible says that he took you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You were dead in your trespasses and he's made you alive. There's no panel beating or adding to your life to make you a better Christian or a better person. You were dead and now you are alive in Jesus. You have life. Once you've accepted Christ, that's it. It's the greatest gift you could ever receive. And the Bible says now because of what Jesus done, and he says here, you can boldly stand before him, but also with a clean conscience. You're not being bugged all the time. You're not like, oh, you're thinking of how bad you are. You're realizing, wow, I can boldly enter into the throne room of God to worship him because he's made me his child. Can I get an amen? That was a very good place to say amen, okay? It's getting very quiet in this place, okay? The more quiet it gets, the longer I'm going to preach. Lock the doors, okay? We have lots of time. So, verse 23, now, he says, once you stand there, he says, let's hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. <laughs> it's sort of almost like it feels like it doesn't work, but he says, when you stand before God, not just does it give you this place with him, where your conscience is clean, where you can worship him freely, and it's an intimate place before him. He says, but you're going to need to hold fast to the confession, to the word, to what you believe. And he says, don't waver, don't run away from that, don't back down, don't, don't compromise. And we spoke about that a little bit last week. What are the challenges for us in the West is compromise and comfort and convenience and all the choices we can make. Those are the things that hold us back from following God fully. And he says, therefore, don't compromise, don't, but hold fast. If you hold fast onto something, I don't know if you've ever skied. We had this one first year's camp. And then what happened is we went there to Claymont or Hermanus. There's this lake there. And so we, we, we took all the first years for skiing. So, so I realized this one guy, he looks a bit like jittery and all that stuff. So... So yeah, Johannes, who's a, who's a doctor, it was their boat that, that we used. And so now we have this first years and we put them on this tube at the back. Yeah? And so here we go. And the idea is obviously to throw them off because hey, the quicker you go and all that stuff. And so the guy gets on, he's got a life jacket on and we go and this guy just doesn't want to let go. He holds on to that rope. He holds on to that thing as if his life depends on it. And Johannes says, yo, we're going to throw it. And then we go like, and this guy holds on. He just holds on for life. Because he had to hold on. He can't swim. But he didn't tell us that he cannot swim, you know. 
but he's brave enough. The peer pressure is so big. He's also going to go into the gutter. But eventually we throw him off, you know, and he falls down. And, and I look around and I just say, oh, my God, this guy's just going like, and we chased back and we pull him up on the boat. He says, I can't swim. I can't swim, but it was great. I'm thinking like, I can just imagine on the newspapers, you know, kid drowns in first year's camp, you know, Da-da-da, last first year's camp ever. Yeah? But I'll never forget that picture. Because if you can't swim, you're going to hold on. If you can't drown, they say if somebody swims out to you, um, and a lifesaver, or not to you, but if somebody's busy drowning and a lifesaver would swim, swim out, the first thing they need to do is just knock that guy unconscious. Don't come close to that guy who's busy drowning because he'll hold on to you and he'll pull you down. He'll, because of the desperation he has for life. So what you need to do is throw the life boy at him and then let him take that and then you swim him out or you knock him unconscious and then you pull him out yeah but if somebody is drowning they hold on to life and this is the picture paul you think it's paul writes it says let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering because with that confession comes our hope comes life because he says, for he who promised is faithful. And then he makes this another, another connection. Because normally we, some people love the intimate part, standing before God. Some people love the going out there. And then he says, but the key for you lies to consider one another. It's because it's not a one-man show. It's not you trying to change the world. He says, let us consider one another in order to stir up two things. Love good works because in nature you and i are humans now john sitting here at the back he did a funny exercise yesterday with all the facilitators he took all these quality street sweets and then he threw it at all these facilitators and you should have seen people go for sugar it is crazy you know if it's like endearments people think like oh yeah but when it was quality street the ladies you should have seen them you know some got four or five sweets many got nothing <laughs> <You know? laughs> but it wasn't looking like a bunch of christians you know? <laughs> but, and then he said inherently we're all selfish because if that moment arrives sometimes we grab to stuff my question this morning is what do you grab onto when the tough time comes what do you hold on to what do i hold on to and he says, therefore, you and I, what we need is we need to consider one another and we need to stir each other up. That's why small groups are so important. That's why community is so important because you cannot make it on your own as a Christian, especially in the days that we're living. Because when we consider your brother next to you or your sister next to you and you begin to stir up love by loving them and by this we will know, be known by the love that we have for one another, then we also challenge each other to good works. And says, don't, don't assemble the forsaking together because it's not just about, oh, you know, should I go to Amonis or should I go to church or should I, oh, you know, the cricket is on again, this is on again. You have so many choices. But if you understand how spiritual it is and how you and I need the assembling together with other believers, you'll hold on to not just the confession, but you will begin to consider others and walk in that fullness. Because you cannot stand alone. You've not been designed as a Christian to stand alone. That's why you're born into a family. 
And that family structure can either destroy you as a person or it can be your place of safety and acceptance and celebration. 60% of students coming to first year will come out of a divorced home. The reason why they're grabbing onto false friendships and the drinking culture and so many girls get raped week in and week out here on our campus is because they're all looking for a place to belong. They're all looking for somebody to tell them God loves them. They're accepted. They're all looking for encouragement. That's why it says we exhort one another because the day is coming soon. Now that was written many years ago, but the day is coming soon. The day is fast approaching. Turn to your neighbor and say, why are you still smiling like that? Thank you for your enthusiasm. Especially the people from Joburg here in the front. And the people from Germany at the back, you're also welcome. So just quickly, there's, a, there's this picture, and we're not going to go too much into that. But there was this one guy in Scripture called Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was moved and stirred because Nehemiah was in a place of comfort. He was the cupbearer, so he was in the king's palace, in and out. He could eat as much as he wanted. He just had to, like, cupbearer normally would taste, like, whether it's poisoned or not, maybe. You know, so it wasn't like always the, you know, his, his life insurance was probably very high. But um, he was there in the king's palace. And so he was just continuing his life as normal, just convenient Christian, having a nice time, all that stuff. And then suddenly, God started to speak to him. Suddenly he read the word of God and he realized like, sure, I'm here in this palace. I've got all this great stuff, but I've got a problem. Jerusalem is in ruins. The people of God are being destroyed. There are no walls around that city. Listen to this, Nehemiah 1 verse 4 to 5. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven and I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Many people think that standing before God just means I have got this great righteousness before him. But once you know God's righteousness, you'll begin to realize that he's also a just God and he's a holy God. And when you stand before God, it can just be about you. Oh, thank you, Lord. You prosper me. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your protection over my family. Or you can begin to ask certain questions that will take you out of your comfort zone. Like, Lord, what is stirring your heart? And then he'll begin to share his heart with you. Like he shared it with Nehemiah. And in this brokenness, in this place of surrender before God, you realize like he's been so blessed, but he's been blessed for a reason. God begins to take his heart. There's a prayer we sometimes pray. Say, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. Because <laughs> when you stand before God, you can either be a consumer Christian or you can say, Lord, why am I standing here? And on whose behalf am I standing here? And then suddenly God begins to stir this in your heart like he did with, with Nehemiah. And so when we were there in Iran, I, I'll never forget it being in this house for so many days you know we come with our fancy prayers we come with like oh god turn the nation turn that stuff off you were still with on that team were you wave at me off okay he can confirm i'm not lying sometimes just a bit exaggerating but it's not lying okay but so tell me if i'm wrong okay so but um because i like to tell stories but it's true so um 
the amazing thing is, so we are there and the Lord told us that morning that today you're going to cry, you're going to pray with your tears, not with words. And so here we start with our fancy song. We want to pray for this nation. And all the persecution and the tough stuff that's happening there. And people that are just being killed, leaders, and just disappear and their bodies found outside the city. So now on the one side you want to sort of get offended with God or you think like, but so here we start to worship. The next moment, the most unlikely one of this group of people that went with us starts to weep. But not like a weeping, you know, like we as men, we weep like, oh, high fever is tense. You know, and then we like, and what other people, we started to howl and break for the nation. And we wept for three hours. And for three days after that, we were in our cupboard, gone, and was canon. We couldn't even like eat. Because for three hours, God took our hearts and showed us how he feels about that nation. You see, then it's not just an intellectual exercise. It's a, it's a group of people that have surrendered to God. Say, God, I'm willing to go outside of the space of just my intellectual experience with you. Take my heart and break it. And see, that's what begins to happen with Christians when they surrender. That's what happened to Nehemiah. I'm not going to go through all of this, but then Nehemiah went out and he checked out the city. He applied faith. And then came the opposition. Sure. Son Ballot and the Horonite, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite, and Geshem, the Arab, they heard of it and they laughed. Just skip a couple of, of slides to slide number eight. Don't worry, we only have 50 slides this morning, so we're at slide number eight. But that's just a joke, that's just a joke. Anybody giving me 10 extra minutes to preach? Just raise your hand if you give me 10. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, Lots of time, lots of time. Okay, we're not going. But these were the things that came against Nehemiah. Nehemiah was mocked. Now, remember, not from the enemy, from Nehemiah's own people. Sanballat and Tobiah. I hope you don't call your children that one day, okay? Firstly, they were he was mocked. People started to laugh at him. But have you heard the story of Noah? <laughs> have you heard the story of Joshua and Moses? Have you heard the story of so many people where people just say like, you're crazy. They will mock you if you begin to stand up for something begin to stand before God and stand for God. Then they started to threaten him. He said, get off this wall. Who are you to build? Oh, they tried to intimidate him. Then they started to try to distractions. And I think this is a big one that Christians fall for. To say, that, okay, okay, you're on this wall, but, but let's have a committee meeting. Come off the wall, stop the work, and let's get there and let's sit and let's talk about it. Because you know, there's all these rumors running around of this and that and that. And then they wanted to discredit him by going to the king and saying, this guy is actually just rebelling. This guy is actually just like, it's not for the kingdom. Because the king said to Nehemiah, go and build, I give you everything. God's favor is obviously on you because that's what the word says. So the king releases Nehemiah to go. The only problem is the people around Nehemiah 
And then this amazing thing, you know, eventually when they can't get it from the outside, they try to bring division from the inside. So they try to divide the people around and just say like, oh, yeah, this, this, you go there, that. And, and that's the tactic of the enemy today for us is he, he wants to mock you and just tell you, you are crazy for following Jesus. You are crazy. Now just be more liberal. Just, just like sleep around with your girlfriend. Just like, just like live together and, and, and see whether you're compatible. You're never going to be compatible because you're starting your relationship on a lustful level, not on real love. So that relationship will never work. Can you be so straight? Yeah. Stay away. Let there always be enough room for the Holy Spirit between you. Amen. <laughs> two meters. I have two daughters and a, and a, and a boy. And the, the, the other day, apparently, this one guy came to knock on the door, try to talk to my one daughter. Apparently, that's what she said, told me later. And apparently, he never got into the front door. I smiled at him and closed the door again. I don't know what happened in my heart, but I was just like, who are you? So guys, I mean, we need to protect the ladies, I mean. Don't take advantage of them. They're God's daughters. But you know, that's what the devil tries to do. And finally, division by just greed and injustice and usury. They try to, they try to get Nehemiah off the wall. But then Nehemiah told everybody, everyone, every family, you go out your house and you go check there in front of your house. After we've expected, you're going to build there. And then he gave, him, gave them a, like a truffle, a building thing, and a sword. So he realized like there's a wall, but they need to build. And then every family started to build. And the wall was fixed like this. By the time the enemy woke up, Jerusalem was protected. Jerusalem was secured. It's a beautiful picture of what the church should do. But that means it's not about the guy standing in front of you trying to psych people up. It means you need to build. You need to build where God has called you. And it starts with our families here, with those children. The most important people in this church are those people, the next generation that went out that door. So that's for us important. More than 100 kids. Because they're the next generation. We need to protect them. We need to pray for them. If you're still single and a student, pray for those kids. Invest in other people's families. So three things quickly. Becoming a builder means that we need to be in the spirit because like with Nehemiah, there was just so many stuff. There's so many natural stuff that you're going to get distracted in or the devil is going to try and come. But the only way we'll do it as the church is when we walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Nehemiah says. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. This is Nehemiah's command to the people that are building. He says, don't be afraid. Don't get distracted. Don't focus on what the enemy is doing all the time. Build because God is great and awesome. God is doing something. And in our midst, I, I tell you, with all the young people coming and people's hearts turning around, you're with us in the church. I just say, Lord, you're doing so many awesome things. We just want to be obedient to what you call us to do. We're not competing with other churches. The Lord has called them to do certain things. But all we know is we're contending for souls. We want to be builders. And as Zechariah said it, the Lord, you know, and he, he prophesied, he says, not by might nor by power, but by the Holy Spirit. We cannot live as the church without the fullness of the Holy Spirit. There were virgins 
waiting for the bridegroom and the one part had oil and the other part not. I always thought like it was saved people and unsaved people, people that know God and people that don't know God. But those who didn't make it, they were also having an expectation that the bridegroom was going to come. It's a very tough parable. Because some of that virgins had oil and the others didn't have oil. Those who didn't have oil couldn't get in because they were not ready when the bridegroom came. The Bible says he'll come like a thief in the night. Are we ready? Are we ready? The second thing is don't focus on yourself or on the enemy. We must be aware of what others are doing. Stop making excuses. Stop delegating your spiritual responsibility. Stop trying to prove yourself to other people or defend yourself. When people say bad stuff about you, Will they persecute you for the name of Jesus? Hallelujah. Rejoice. Some people say bad stuff about the, us as a church. Oh, the 10 spiritual levels. Just don't. I heard this one lady this weekend said to a child, just uh, this holiday, just go to any church in Stellenbosch, but don't go to Shofar. And I was sort of offended first, but then I realized, like, that's a compliment. That's really a compliment, hallelujah, because we're doing something right. <laughs> Taking a stand. Not for being radical, just because we've stood before him. We know that once we've looked him in the eyes, we will not compromise. We will love and we will lead others. Okay, last slide. Are you all still with me? If you behave, last slide on this and then another 20 to go. Okay, so... The last thing that Nehemiah did is he continued the mission of God. He stayed on the walls. He never got off the wall. I'm not talking about performance and doing 500 things for God. I'm talking about a spiritual position you and I have to take. First before God, because the devil is going to accuse you. Do you know the devil also has access to the throne room of God? And there he accuses. He's called the accuser of the brethren. He accuses us day and night. And you don't believe what the devil says. He's going to try to bring guilt and shame and condemnation and tell you how bad you are and you can never make it. And it's all just to keep you out of that place, standing before God and then standing for God. So stay on the wall. Put a God in front of your mouth. Walk in righteousness and your authority every day. Sure. I remember going to the Middle East and this, we had this one moment that was like a bit crazy. And... Um, what happened is people booked these tickets for us. Somebody in the team booked the tickets, but they booked the name of this one guy wrong. And so we were supposed to fly from Vietnam to another country. So we were there for a couple of days and into the, into the Middle East. So now we're in this trouble because we, we're, gonna need, we're gonna leave this one guy behind um, to go on, but we can't really because it's not a safe space. And... Um, so here we're standing with this air, air hostess people and they're trying to, and they just say, sorry guys, we, we can't. The name has been booked wrong. Say, Kuos instead of Jakobus, you know, you must book a ticket precisely as the name is on your passport. Otherwise they don't allow you in. So now we're standing on this airport. We have 20 minutes to go and it's going crazy and everybody's panicking because now we have six other nations to cover or four other nations we've done to, um, to cover as we're going to fly. So it's not a nice spot and everybody's panicking. 
And the lady just said, we called the manager. He says, there's no way we can change it. The flight is full, all that stuff. I said, but like, can we cancel it and pay now? He says, no, sorry, we don't have time. And so they tried to change it first, but it didn't work. And then the most amazing thing happened. We just took a stood in the circle and we said, okay, Lord, you're a God of miracles. Please intervene in this situation. The next moment, all of the airport's electricity goes off. Poof. So now we're standing there and poof, the generator kicks in. Everything goes on again. The lady looks at us and says, we don't know what just happened, but the name we typed in just changed. Amen. <laughs> yeah. So the guy was on the flight. There we go. Yeah. But I won't tell you through how much stress we went in that 10 minutes. <laughs> you know? But we just realized we have to take authority. Say, Lord, we stand before you. And because of that, we can either decide to panic and stress or we're going to step into our identity and authority because you told us to be here. And there you will make a way where there seems to be no way. So the Lord tripped the whole of the airport's electricity for us to be able to get that guy. I still don't know how it worked, but hallelujah. On the flight, there we went. So we need to build. Turn to your neighbor and say, become a builder, become a builder. And now we're going we're gonna to finish and pray for each other. The last part is what he told Nehemiah. Nehemiah told the people, just get onto the wall. Stay on the wall. Stay on your space. Don't get off the wall. There's a lot of Christians that are just listening to all what the devil is saying. They're listening to what's happening in Zimbabwe. And they say, this is going to happen in South Africa. You better flee. Because when the people get angry, then this is exactly what's going to happen. Why do you listen to stuff like that? You're a Christian. You're a believer. How big is your God? Have you been with God? And it's going to take a massive boldness for Christians just to be with God. Hear what he says and hey, move with what he says. Otherwise, you're always going to run to the fear. You're always going to run to the rumors. You're always going to just like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Do you know they abduct the kids these days at the malls and you need it better be, so do, do, do. you better be this and, you know, better get like a, a dog lease for your kid and have all your three kids on a dog lease so that no one could take your dog, you know, your kidney, you know. <laughs> and then we have these massive fences. And I'm not saying against security. I'm not saying against all that stuff. Let's put all that stuff in place. But don't put your trust in it. Bible says, curse is the man who trusts in his own knowledge and his own understanding. My question this morning is, how big is your God? How big is your God? How big is God? So let's look to him. But that also means you need to take up the sword. Ephesians 6 says it. Having done all to stand, stand. <laughs> Doesn't say take the sword and swing the sword and go ballistic. No, 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 no. You know, because we get some bazooka or AK-47 Christians and all the time you know the bible says having put on your armor just stand this is this beautiful picture that nehemiah is challenged with even from his own people even from with us inside his own ranks because people are always going to tell you what you can't do but when we consider one another because it's not a lone ranger thing when we come together and we stir each other up and if you're first year i want to encourage you get involved in a small group get involved there's so many amazing Young people that are serving God fully. Just, it's just amazing what God is doing. But there's no in-between anymore. You can't have your one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. 
There's just too many people that are compromising, but the power of God is gone. God is calling up a generation that will stand on the wall and say, every man build in front of you. And that may mean something for all of us in different seasons in our lives. It's time to build. It's time to build on the one side, have the sword on the other side, have discernment, know where God is moving. Listen to what God is saying. Have you got a word for 2019? Don't wait for the church to give you a word. Spend time with God and say, Lord, what, what are you saying? Because that word is going to hold you through fire, through onto the mountains. It's going to sustain you. And that's why I said to Joshua, Joshua, only be strong and courageous. I said it three times. Because Joshua wanted to look to Moses. Joshua wanted, because there's massive giants in that promised land. I mean, be strong and courageous. Stand before God. Will you stand with me? Let's practice. Let's stand. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.